I'm Kristen Blood, KTSA News. This is one of those days where you make sure you call your relatives up north in the winter storm watch zone and just check on them, see how they're doing, make some conversation, because eventually they'll ask you, what's the weather like down there? And then you get the, you know, we get the brag. Welcome to our dreadful little show, Jack Riccardi at 550 and 1071 KTSA. I don't know what this is. I, I, I don't know what this thing is that I'm about to play for you. I, I know that it's not what people are calling it. I think we're using the wrong word here. I don't, I don't think this is racist. I mean, it's icky, and it's, there's just something wrong about it, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's racist. Racist is just becoming this, this, uh, you know, it's like the blank tile in Scrabble. It, 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 it can apply to anything. It can mean anything. We're just slapping it on stuff we don't like. And, um, What's happening here in, in the uh, little uh, audio sound file I'm about to play you is uh, they're doing the Biden campaign's outreach to black voters. So Joe goes to this man Eric's house with some uh, takeout food and sits down and meets and has, uh, you know, kind of breaks bread with. Uh, Eric and his sons, Christian and Carter. Cut number five. Well, man, you got chicken fingers. You got, you got all this. <laughs> I, I went the route of making sure I had the hamburger. So tell me about you guys. What you doing these days? Why don't you share about your passion in sports? I'm playing AAU basketball right now. Are you really? Are you guard? Yes, sir. Now... What grade are you in? Seventh grade. Seventh grade. Right now I'm just doing basketball, playing guard on the JV team for my school. How about the school? How are y'all doing in school? You should tell the president about the school. Favorite thing about it is the business academy I'm in. We get to like travel, so we've been to like NC State, uh, Wake Tech, and we, we, yeah, we went to this small dry cleaning business. And it's just, it's cool. It's a great experience. Yeah, I'm impressed. Is that a new program in the school? Yes, sir, it is. It just started. Just a couple of years ago. You know how much this guy loves you. Yeah. You just feel it, can't you? Yes, yeah, yeah. Your dad jumped in front of a bull for you. By the way, we dads are hard to raise. Once you're a teenager, we're hard to raise. So you gotta be patient with us, you know what I mean? I'm <laughs> patient. I, I mean, they seem like a very nice family, and obviously they wanted to be there. But what is this? What, what are we doing here? I guess my question about this is, um, since it's something that is created, set up, and and then disseminated by Joe Biden's campaign, what is the message here? I don't think any of us believes that President Biden has the first idea what American families are going through right now with food prices, with uh, you know inflation in general. When he isn't yelling that it doesn't exist, he's giving it new names like shrinkflation. He's he thinks it's he thinks we're peeved because the Oreos package is smaller. That's not the problem. But what is this? Is this um does this like work? Does this does, is will this bring anecdotally we hear that black voters are leaving Biden? Does this bring him back? Do people watch this and and become convinced, okay, he he gets us, he feels us, 
And um, if not, what is the what's the takeaway here? Um, I'm not. It's not offensive. It's not racist. And and politicians have been trying to figure. White politicians have been trying to figure out how to juxtapose themselves with black voters, probably since Abe Lincoln. But um, so it's not the only time I've seen something really awkward. But this is really awkward, you know. And um, I keep thinking about this moment Joe Biden had as a candidate in 2020, when um, a reporter for CBS News, Errol Brown. Uh, asked him about the cognitive test issue, which, of course, has come back into the news today. This is how he handled it four years ago. Cut number 10. Mr. Vice President, your opponent in this election, President Trump, has made your mental state a campaign topic. And when asked in June if you'd been tested um, for cognitive decline, you've responded that you're constantly tested in, in, in effect because you're in situations like this on the campaign trail. But please clarify specifically, have you taken a cognitive no, test? No, I haven't taken a test. Why the hell would I take a test? Come on, man. That's like saying you, before you got in this program, if you take a test where you're taking cocaine or not, what do you think, huh? Are, are you a junkie? What do you say to President Trump so he, he's, he's getting questioned by a black reporter for CBS News, Errol Barnett, and he says, well, how about you take a test for cocaine? Are you, are you a junkie? See, I think you only have to do dinner with Eric and his family if you've screwed over this kind of voter in the past. If, you, if, if your conscience is clear and you've um, tried to do the right thing by everybody and your policies are to lift all boats... Then you don't you don't have this awkward posed oh, tell me about school you know kind of kind of dinner. I mean, again, I, I'm not like calling it racist or offensive. I, it's just it's just wicked uncomfortable, and I'm just trying to figure out what's the what's the purpose. I even started thinking maybe this has nothing to do with black voters. Maybe this is really for guilt-riddled white voters. Like maybe most of what liberals do when it comes to race is to make up to their own kind. I, I'm not even I'm not even sure it's supposed to matter to the target whether it's a, a black voter or a Hispanic voter or a gay voter or an Asian voter. Um, but anyway, what do you think is going on here? Two ten five nine nine fifty five. Fifty-five. Now, we learned that the Super Bowl was the all-time most-watched program in television history with 124 million viewers across all the platforms. So this includes people that watched on CBS, people that streamed it on Paramount+, Plus, everything. Univision, all the coverage, all the, all the different CBS family of broadcasts, 124 million. It's, it broke the record set by last year's Super Bowl. And... Um, the ratings actually went up as the game went on. It was a very exciting second half and overtime. Uh, also on the uh, heels of what was a very highly rated regular season. The regular season games averaged um, 18 million viewers, and it was the second highest audience for the NFL since they started keeping seasonal averages 30 years ago. So I'm curious what you think that means. Because not so long ago, everybody was angry at the NFL, was repulsed by their politics and the kneeling during the anthems and the conduct of players and 
the tolerance of the conduct by teams. And now it looks like, and if these numbers are right, everybody's come back. What do you think? I, I, I think, and it's just, you know, for what it's worth, I don't know if people are over the stuff that happened. I don't think people have let go of it or forgotten about it. I know I haven't. But I also think that people realized at some point, well, if I enjoy this, I'm going to have it. And it's uh, it's kind of like if Bud Light was the best beer, people would drink it. But it's not, so they don't. The Super Bowl is something we do. It's you, you, you cook, you have snacks, you break your diet, you invite your favorite people, you allow yourself to have a couple extras. And I just think people like that. I think people have given themselves, you know, the, the license or whatever to do it. I don't think it's any more complicated than that. But, but, but if they take from this that we're over it or we're good with the black national anthem or the players can kneel for the national anthem, no, I don't think, I don't think that's true. And yet, again, obviously these numbers would seem to contradict what I'm saying. So tell me what you think. Um, we're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, the uh, term that I have talked about before is back in the news today, the Biden family business. Uh, Tony Bobolinsky, who uh, worked with Hunter, did closed-door testimony with the House Oversight and Judiciary Committees. His opening statement has been released. Um, and he says in the opening statement, I want to be crystal clear from my direct personal experience and what I have subsequently come to learn. It is clear to me that Joe Biden was the brand being sold by the Biden family. His family's foreign influence peddling operation from China to Ukraine and elsewhere sold out to foreign actors who were seeking to gain influence and access to Joe Biden and the U.S. government. This is the business when people call um, or refer to or allow President Biden to refer to his family's business, they don't have a business. They don't own stores. They don't own bowling alleys. They don't make a product. They don't uh, have a, 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 a franchise. You can't order from Biden.com. The business, so-called, is corruption. And it's a corruption of the word business, and it's a corruption of the concept of being in business to call it that. But, you know, the question that you have to ask when you start talking about this investigation and this Bobolinsky guy and everything else is, do people even care? I have to ask that question, because if I'm going to talk about something on a radio show, which is obviously designed to attract and retain an audience... I have to ask the question, do people care? Don't ask me if it's important. Don't ask me if it's illegal. Don't ask me if it's significant. I, I know it is. I know it's all those things. Do people care about this? Because it's starting to look like people have priced into their politicians so much cynicism and so much corruption that, in essence, we're hard to shock anymore. We're hard to shock. If you think about what used to be a scandal in politics, don't you see the bar getting higher and higher as our expectations of these people get lower and lower? And I'm not even talking now about the cynicism we have where we tolerate it when it's our party and we, we don't like it when it's the other party, but I'm just saying, in general, just across the board, 
don't you look at these politicians, tell me if I'm wrong, tell me if I'm wrong, but don't you look at these politicians, when they're on your television, you just figure they don't have sponsor patches on their jackets, but I know they're all sponsored. I know they all took money. I know they're all in somebody's pocket, or almost all of them. I know that the legislation they write and the speeches they give and the votes they cast have already been promised to somebody for something. And if it isn't for money, then it's for, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It's it's vote swapping and, and what have you. And so while I'm not downplaying it and I'm not telling you to downplay it, I have to be honest, I don't know that any of this is shocking anymore. I mean, the thing with the documents in the garage and... I, in order for us to be gobsmacked by any of this involving Biden, we would have to have expected a lot more. Can you honestly say, can you honestly tell me that you were expecting a lot more? Because I don't think that's true. I noticed today that they finally got her. You you were saying this, our, our listeners were saying this in the first minute, the first hour of the story. They finally got around to saying uh, in Congress, hey, um, why doesn't the special counsel, Robert Herr, release the transcripts or the audio of the deposition of President Biden so we can hear for ourselves, or at least read for ourselves. Did he really not remember stuff, and could he not say when his son died, and did he not know when he had begun and finished being VP? And yes, that's the obvious solution to this. There should be no reason why that can't be um, released to the public, because there's no trial forthcoming. There's no jury pool to taint. And it's right now it's uh, he said versus he said, right? Her told us in his report, this is how Biden came across. Biden came out that night and said he's lying and it's not true and I don't know why they're saying that. And now all these Democratic surrogates are out there uh, telling us how sharp Joe Biden is. They keep telling us stories of how amazing Biden is in person, how when you're with him, he's just incredible. But there's no tape of any of it. We always have to take their word for it. It's like they saw, you know, Bigfoot. Uh, you know, even with Bigfoot, there's a few photos. People have snapped a few grainy photos. Can we not get any video or audio proof of this other Joe Biden, this Biden that is incredibly smart and sharp and in command? Uh, uh, KJP said he, he, uh, she's been in meetings with him where he's giving orders to foreign leaders and running the world. And you'd think somewhere there'd be tape. There'd be archival footage. There'd be. Somebody'd run some audio. Where is it? Play it. You'd, you'd, you'd shut people like me right down, right? Just, just find me, find us the example, and stick it right in the face of conservative talk radio. But they haven't done it. And I don't know if we'll get the her transcripts or the audio of it or not. We'll talk about that. Uh, 210-599-5555 or jack at ktsa.com. Yeah, I, I just think when it comes to, and, and we're not going to stop talking about it. I'm not saying that, but when it comes to things like this Bobolinsky testimony and Biden, yes, look, there's ample anecdotal evidence that he was in the influence selling business or racket or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Joe Biden is simply too rich to be explained any other way. He did not make this money. He could not have made this money doing the things he has reported and the things that he, you know, by the salaries he earned 
in the Senate as vice president, now as president. So like a lot of politicians, Biden has income and uh, access to influence that is like gold. It's valuable. It's obviously in demand. The word is out around the world. You don't do business with the State Department or your the, the U.S. Embassy in your country, right? You find a willing dupe in the House or Senate or some career hack like Joe Biden, and you get in the side door. And look, I don't think it's just one party, and I don't think it's just him. And he's not smart enough to have invented this business model himself. So chances are he picked this up as he got, you know, learned the ropes in Washington. But, but where does this leave us if voters just sort of expect that this is the thing? I mean, we can't even make it against the law. We can't even get Republicans and Democrats to agree that they shouldn't, these, while they're in office, they shouldn't be able to own stock in anything that they regulate, which would be anything. The kind of conflicts of interest you have to sign agreements on, and I do, for my business and your business, they've got none of that. Does that not suggest to you that this will, you'll never get to the bottom of this and it will never stop and you can, you can investigate it till, you know, the cows come home. I, I, and again, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not, this is not Jack on the radio saying, leave Joe Biden alone. I'm just trying to figure out where does it go? And do people have any expectation that it should be better? Because you're only going to, this is only going to matter to you as a voter if you don't expect that this is what's happening and then discover that it is. But otherwise, it's like uh, that scene in Casablanca where gambling, I'm shocked. Corruption, uh, influence peddling, I'm shocked. No, I'm not. No one is. 210-599-5555. And, of course, the the thing about uh, whether or not Biden is really secretly sharp and all that. I mean, this this mythology that's growing up around him is that, and they don't have an explanation for why it would vanish the minute he's in public, but apparently the minute he goes behind closed doors, he becomes crisp and commanding and remembers stuff and is a terror on the details. Um, and the answer to that obviously would be, um, well, then just produce that evidence. Let's see that. Uh, everything presidents do, there's, there's official photographers with them everywhere. I assume there's probably video crews. I, I assume there's probably more occasions than not that are being, uh, documented. I'm sure that's been true for the last several administrations. These guys don't go anywhere without taking a camera crew or attracting one. There's always some documentary being made. There's, so somebody getting ready to write a book, right? So wh- where is the where is the evidence of all this? Uh, and they were saying today that um, one of the questions that came up today at the briefing was, will will he have a cognitive test as part of his upcoming physical? And I want to play the answer to this, and then we'll talk about it. But they asked KJP, will there be a cognitive uh, test 
uh, involved in um, in the physical. Oh, I don't think I sent you this one, Don. And uh, and she said no. She said there won't be a, a cognitive test because every day is a cognitive test because everything he does is a demonstration of his sharpness and his command. And um, of course, you can take that a lot of different ways. It doesn't really look like sharpness and command when we're watching him. Uh, but that's how they're sort of answering this. I had a different take on it. I don't know why we would ask the administration, this administration, to release a cognitive finding on President Biden. Why would we want that? Don't you know what it will say already? What will it say? These are the people that are telling you, oh, in in private, he's amazing. That cognitive test is going to be off the charts great. He's scary. He's so smart. You know, I'm not sure what to believe anymore when it comes to government statistics and findings, like you get the job numbers, you get the, uh, the, the GDP numbers. Those things used to be accepted as gospel no matter which administration it was, no matter which party it was. We in the news business would report those things. Oh, 230,000 new jobs last month. But I don't know anymore. I, I don't trust them with data that is completely at their discretion and for which they are the sole source. So the, the cognitive test would be nothing. if they Look, if they can fudge economic data, what value would the cognitive test have? And again, do you really think they're going to release one? Do you think they're going to send her out to the podium one day? And she'll be like, bad news, folks. He, he took the cognitive test, and um, he's basically like a, he's got the, he's got the consciousness of a cup of pudding. You know, that's not going to happen. They'll tell you it's, it's incredible. They were blown away. So what are we asking for, right? Uh, they hired this guy named Dante King. Um, he's an anti-racist, which means he's a grifter. Uh, he, he, he is, he is, um, for hire by guilt-ridden white liberal academia to tell them what's what. And, um, there's a kind of person that I guess feels better if they get a tongue lashing about how racist they are from a black man. So he, he speaks at the University of California, San Francisco, UCSF. And I was thinking about this. I'm about to play you a little of it. Um, in the context of the thing with President Biden having burgers and catfish with the black family, because, um, it's like the left can't decide if they should reach out or if they should just kneel and beg forgiveness. So this is what Dante King uh, was paid six figures to deliver at uh, UCSF. Cut number eight. Listen to this. Whites are psychopaths, and their behavior represents an underlying biologically transmitted proclivity with roots deep in their evolutionary history. How can you, how many of you could see the proclivity that evolved deep within the evolutionary history of whiteness by show of hands? How many of you could see it? Some people are sitting here, oh no, I don't wanna raise my hand. That's called denial. There's no discussion about the delusion and the perversion of whiteness. Say this with me, mm. rape culture Repeat in America him. 
is a legal do it. economic and moral institution. So we're going to, we have it written in the law, you can rape black women, but we've never been a racist country. This goes beyond gaslighting and it's rooted in psychological delusion. And I'm not seeking agreement from white people at all. Mm. I don't prioritize whiteness or white people in my work in that way. So turn to your neighbor and say, as much as we want to talk. <laughs> all right, hold on. Any, I got to start doing this when I, when I give speeches. Uh, apparently, it's more effective when you talk to a group if you make them repeat every line back to you. Um, and they do it. They're, they're, they're very, they're into it. Um, so he, ho they hosted this, uh, speaker and a conservative campus group, uh, posted these clips. Uh, Dante King is an author and a, and a lecturer. Uh, the name of his talk was Diagnosing, uh, Whiteness. And, um, if whites are psychopaths, then what is Joe Biden doing with this nice black family having dinner? What's, what's the deal? Um, and he goes on to talk about, um, the United States and all of its institutions are based on racism and anti-blackness. And um, I always wonder, they never show the audience in these things. Have you ever noticed that? You watch these clips and you see the speaker and you hear the audience dutifully obey and repeat and call and respond. Who are they? Like, do you get the feeling that maybe none of this is really for a black audience? This is really for white people that want to be and need to be punished. For whatever reason, for whatever pathology, they feel bad. They feel like they don't deserve to be where they are or have what they have. Now, they're not giving any of it up. Notice that the guilt never extends to the actual paying of the reparations or here, have my house, or here, have my job, or hey, I'll resign my seat in the U.S. Senate because there are too many white guys and we should have some diversity. They never do that. You never see that. I've never seen a politician say, I'm stepping down because this job really should be held by a, a woman of color. Right? So it's, it's okay to talk about it, but we never deliver it. And that's why I think this is probably just for guilt-riddled white people. And I think that's what the Biden, you know, dinner is. It, 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 it can't possibly be. Tell me if I've got this wrong. There's no way this could actually fool the people it's aimed at, namely black voters. If they're peeling away from Biden, they've got real-world, real-life reasons for doing that. Things are not working out. They're tired of being taken for granted. This economy is not working for them. This immigration policy is not working for them. It's upending their communities. It's depriving their children of opportunities they should have. They're watching their big city politicians like this Dolt in Chicago take from their community stuff that politicians promised and gave over decades, community centers and basketball leagues and school programs and aid of other kinds. And just rip it all away and give it to people that just got here five minutes ago. So that's what's happening with that vote and those voters. And no, having having dinner with them isn't going to make that okay. 
I mean, Bob could be the most charming guy in the world, and that wouldn't that wouldn't be enough. And he's certainly not. <laughs> How you doing in school? But but then but then I think to myself, it really isn't for them anyway. It's really for other white liberals. You know, I think this is why they put the signs up in their yard. You know, the ones that say all are welcome and there are no illegal people and uh, love Trump's hate and, uh, you know, uh, water is life. And that, isn't, that isn't for anybody else but other people that have the signs. You got your sign? Hey, look, I got one too. I got you. You and I, I got you. I'm with you. That's all it is. I think that's all it is. It's not like people walking by a house with one of those signs stop and, and, and reconsider their their position on water. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's what happens. So it's it's just preening and signaling of a kind. 210-599-5555. Here's a little more uh, Dante King. Take a listen. About how bad anti-blackness is. It is the foundation of all American, all white American institutions. We then get to Ron DeSantis. He says, in Florida, we're taking a stand against the state-sanctioned racism that is critical race theory. We won't allow Florida tax dollars to be spent teaching kids to hate our country or hate each other, only to hate black people. We will invest dollars in that. I think whites are psychopathic. I think there are many lies. The level of lying that white people do that has started since colonialism, we're just used to it. Teenagers, young people that are going out and committing person, uh, uh, home invasions and hitting people, women over the head with person, uh, uh, objects and stealing their purses. I want you to just say that's just human nature. That's just human and nature. Some, here's, says, here's what I, here's what I would say. I, I would qu- I would certainly question the money they're giving a guy like this, but I don't question his free speech right to say it. I don't question a university hosting a variety of viewpoints if they are hosting a variety of viewpoints. But here's what we know. Whatever the opposing point of view is to Dante King will never be heard at that campus, will never be invited, and if invited, will never be tolerated. Notice that the conservative students who attended and taped this speech did not disrupt it, interrupt it, or try to prevent it happening. In fact, you don't hear a peep. They documented it. And they let you decide. And if he had been, again, somebody, for example, of my ilk, would he have been invited? Would he have been given a hearing? Would he have been listened to? Would he have been heckled, interrupted? I mean, comedians don't even want to go to college campuses anymore, and comedians have the thickest skins of all. I mean, nothing gets to them, and even they're saying, that's a place we won't go. We'd have to be crazy. You can't talk to these people. But when I listen to this, it just sounds like self-flagellation by the left, that this is their version of we did something. We helped because we absorbed the abuse and the condemnation and the name-calling, and it's slander. It's not true. Their version of history is insanely off and inaccurate. But 
somehow the the performative act of of listening to it and repeating it back he says repeat after me like you're taking an oath like you're joining something and they do that's an incredible weakness by the way you should feel good about this because these people are your adversaries and they're weak they're so weak that they feel better when somebody berates them i'll take that kind of an opponent any day all day Anyway, yesterday, President Biden had the King of Jordan, King Abdullah, uh, at the White House. And it was another example of how incredible and crisp and commanding he is in the presence of world leaders. Cut number three. Let me start by welcoming His Majesty, the King of Jordan. He's been a good friend. Abdul, welcome back to the White House, man. Welcome back. And by the way, Barack's looking at you in the corner over there. Welcome back, man. To the king. I'm not sure what the protocol is. I don't think. I don't think. Welcome back, man, is it? Um, I wonder if he gave him catfish or fried chicken. Yeah, anyway, Barack's looking at you in the corner. But that's, I'm told there's a, there's a painting of President Obama. But it kind of sounds like Barack's in the corner, which that would explain this entire administration, wouldn't it? Like if Barack is in the corner, that, okay, now I get it. Now I see how things work. Um, seemed to be a little confused about who was there and who wasn't. You know, remember, uh, where's Jackie? Stand up, Jackie. Uh, here he's looking for the crown prince of Jordan. Cut number four. Along with Queen Rihanna, who is uh, meeting with Jill now, and the queen and the crown prince Hussein. Where is the prince out there? I thought he was coming out. At any rate. I don't know about you, but I'm always I'm always misplacing the crown prince. It's tough. It's tough to keep track of them. You know who's back on uh, Comedy Central? I guess he's doing one. Is it one night a week, Don? Is that your understanding of it? I think for this year he's making like a limited That's return. That's what I understand. Yeah. John Stewart back on the Daily Show. He took on the aging of Biden and Trump last night. Cut number nine. Now Democrats will say that any criticism like this especially if Biden is unfair, because you just don't know Biden like they know Biden. President Biden, who I've been around uh, numerous times just in this last year, is sharp, he's focused, he's bright. He is sharp, intensely probing, and detail-oriented and focused. This is a man who is sharp, who is on top of his game, who knows what's going on. He's smart. He's on his game. I was in almost every meeting with the president, and the president was in front of and on top of it all, coordinating and directing leaders who are in charge of America's national security, not to mention our allies around the globe. Did anyone film that? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know what I hear when I hear all these... um people coming out, people from the Biden administration coming out and, and, and insisting that it's not what you think, folks. It's not, he's not what you, all I hear is, stand by for a dated reference, by the way. Raymond Shaw is the kindest, bravest, warmest, most wonderful human being I've ever known in my life. And you get the prize if you know what I'm referring to. But And if you know, you know what I'm saying, right? I mean, this just sounds not only not only rehearsed, but possibly um, like brainwashed, like 
did somebody just pick all these people up and take them to Manchuria? Because I don't know. Raymond Shaw, Joe Biden, just saying. What do you think is really going on with the Washington politicians and funding Ukraine? Because have you noticed that the people agitating the loudest, demanding most full-throatedly that the U.S. back and aid Ukraine and defeat Putin just happen to also be the politicians who were always peaceniks and peace lovers and, um, you know, we are the world and, you know, let's take care of poor people and make the Pentagon have a, a bake sale and fund our schools. And, you know what I mean? Like, there is a very interesting carve-out here. They have finally met a war they love. In addition to, they also have the politicians that love every war that comes along. But you know what I mean? You you watch the the progressives, and you get the feeling, I get the feeling this isn't about war, this isn't about Putin. This isn't about uh, we, we're offended by aggression. We believe in borders. Well, we know they don't. Um, so this is also, to use an overused word these days, this is also a business decision. And J.D. Vance, the senator from Ohio, was on with uh, Jake Tapper. I give Tapper credit for even talking to J.D. Vance on CNN because they don't like what J.D. Vance says. I do. I think he's one of the good guys in politics. I think he'd be a, a great running mate for Donald Trump. He's not my top choice, but I think he'd be a great running mate. Listen to J.D. Vance break down the Ukraine issue uh, with uh, Tapper over the weekend on CNN. Cut number 11. Well, so first of all, Jake, I think it's possible to have separate debates. In fact, congressional Republicans tried to force an Israel alone aid package just a couple of weeks ago that Democrats blocked in the Senate. Uh, so we can't have separate debates. I think that we need to have separate debates. But on the Ukraine question in particular, everybody knows, everybody with a brain in their head, Jake, knows that this was always going to end in negotiation. The idea that Ukraine was going to throw Russia back to the 1991 borders was preposterous. Nobody actually believed it. So what we're saying to the president and really to the entire world is you need to articulate what the ambition is. What is $61 billion going to accomplish that $100 billion hasn't? Please remember, Jake, Ukraine is functionally destroyed as a country. The average age of a soldier in the Ukrainian army right now is 43. That's tragic. That's older than me. I'm 39. If this thing goes on a little bit longer, the average age of a Ukrainian soldier is going to be older than you. And then a year later, it could be a Wolf Blitzer. That is a tragedy. What does it look like? I don't like this age graph. I'm, so, I'm sorry, Jake. But, but, I'm 54 but, but, for those wondering. I, 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 yeah. We are getting to a place yeah. where we're going to be functionally on the hook to pay for Ukrainian pensioners, to rebuild the entire country. Right. We need to bring the killing to a stop. And that's what American leadership should be doing, not writing more blank checks to the war. So what do you make of the argument, though, that if the U.S. and NATO and the EU cede part of Ukraine to Putin, or even all of Ukraine to Putin, um, that really all we're doing is putting out the welcome mat for him to then invade a country that is in the NATO hold on, alliance. Hold on, hold on. Stop. Let me stop. Let me stop it there. This is a bananas argument for two reasons. First, and and I can't believe we even have to say this. 
you do realize that Ukraine is a country with a history with the former Soviet Union. Now, I'm not justifying or defending what Putin did. It's, it's heinous. But that's not the same as Europe. It is, it is a fallacy to suggest that you would treat European states or view the integrity of European states exactly the way he views Ukraine. And again, I'm not defending the way he views it, but let's, let's at least be smart enough to recognize that with Ukraine, he's dealing with, as he sees it, uh, a historical claim. That's why he took like a freaking hour of the Tucker Carlson interview to, to walk through 1400 years of history. It was, it was tedious and tendentious, but it was also insightful into why Ukraine is not like, let's say, Germany, okay? Um, the other reason this is weird and bananas to me is you're hearing Jake Tapper say, we've got to have a strong defense against these Ruskies. I, I, I never thought I'd live long enough to hear the day when the institutional liberal left suddenly is hard all for a, a, a strong military and hard line. You have to go back to, like, Kennedy as president, Jack Kennedy, for a time when the Democrats took this position. I'm, I'm not buying it. I mean, I would love if the Democrats would suddenly morph into 1961 Democrats, but they're not going to, and they haven't, and not on any other issue, not on any other issue. So again, I come back to follow the money. This is about money. This is about the imperative of U.S. dollars going to a certain place where they will be divvied up, reaped, and probably returned to a lot of the pockets of the people that are allocating them. All right, let's listen to a little more with J.D. Vance. Listen to this. So there are two reasons I don't buy this. First of all, Putin has showed he's much weaker than a lot of people feared. The Ukrainians have fought bravely. They've also stalled Putin at a very small amount of territorial gain relative to the entire country. The idea that he can march to Poland or Berlin is preposterous. And the other thing that this really misses here is we have to remember our NATO allies, with the exception of a few Eastern Europeans, are not carrying their fair share of the burden. Most of them don't even spend 2% of their GDP on defense. If Putin is a threat to Berlin, that means the Germans should be changing something about their defense policy. It doesn't mean we can write indefinite checks to Ukraine. Right, but Russia has been proven to be something of, of, a, of a paper tiger because the U.S. has been helping Ukraine, right? I mean, that's the reason. Well, it's also because, of course, the Ukrainians have fought very bravely. I think it's also because, look, you cannot occupy an entire territory the size of Ukraine with the amount of troops that Russia has. Uh, the idea that you can go even further and control multiple European nations is, I think, a scare tactic to get people distracted from the fact that our Ukraine policy just doesn't make a ton of sense. You know, I listened to Secretary Blinken. What are we trying to do, Jake? What is the end goal here? How long does this go until the president can articulate the answer to those questions? I don't know why we would write another blank check. By the way, the other thing Vance talks about a lot, and I like that he's pointing this out. I wish more of them would. In the language of the Senate supplemental aid to Ukraine, uh, well, they've passed it now, so I guess it's more than a bill. But in, in the bill's language, they had um, required or scheduled aid through 
uh, I think it was September 30th of 2025. So if Trump was to win the election and take office in January of 2025, and he is saying on the campaign trail, I'll end this, we will end this war, they are setting up a, a situation where were he to halt the aid, they could impeach him for um, violating budget rules. They could launch an impeachment because he was violating um, the language of the supplemental. And this is, remember, we talked the other day about how you have uh, career State Department people bragging about how they are uh, Trump-proofing U.S. foreign policy. They're already doing things and establishing things so that he will not be able to, um, as presidents can under the Constitution, uh, conduct his own foreign policy. Now, it's fine if you think his foreign policy is crazy or, or dangerous, but you make that case to the voters. If he becomes president, however crazy and dangerous you think it is, um, you gotta, you gotta suck it up and live with it. I think the current president's foreign policy is crazy and dangerous. But you don't hear me questioning whether or not he has the constitutional right to make foreign policy because with chagrin I have to conclude that he does. So what's interesting here is who's in favor of it, the ferocity and enthusiasm with which they're in favor of it, and then as Vance points out, what are we actually in favor of? Are we, are we making a Rooseveltian declaration that nothing less than the unconditional surrender of, of Moscow will be accepted? Or is there a negotiated end to this? You know, when we fought World War II, FDR said no negotiation. You can't keep some of it. Said it to Germany, said it to Japan. You're going to have to abjectly surrender totally everything. We'll, we'll take over and govern your countries. And we did. But it was clear, and it was a will imposed on everyone, pretty much by FDR. In other words, the, the British, the Russians were not so sure they liked this, but, but that was his call. And I think he made the right call, by the way. I think history has shown he made the right call. But, that was that was the understanding, and everything we did in that war, which this war is often likened to, everything we did in that war was on the understanding that it can't end with a compromise. As Vance points out, this war we've not everyone's known all along that it will end with a compromise. Everyone knows that, and again, I say, what is the reason? for the particular people who are pushing this and pushing it like they've never pushed anything. I mean, they have never... The, the Democrats and Republicans who voted for this, and there were like two dozen Republicans that voted for it, the, they've never... Cornyn voted for it, the usual suspects, you know who. They've never been more vehement. There's never been a U.S. um capital project there's never been a a um infrastructure project there's never been an imperative for this country like the imperative to aid ukraine and since we're not buying that it's to prevent world war three or the russian occupation of europe 
What is it for? I think it's for the money. By the way, it's clearly not just Biden or the Democrats. It's clearly something, There's apparently there's fun for one and all here, right? There's plenty to go around. McConnell has come alive. M- Mitch McConnell has color in his cheeks. He's completing sentences. He's, he's, he's enlivened by this. Is it not offensive to you that your elected representatives are so fired up about this? But meanwhile, your, your community is languishing in crime and, and inflation. But, oh, man, we've got to make sure that the, the civil servants of Ukraine are paid. They don't miss a paycheck. This is happening right under your nose. Do not be distracted by the faux patriotism or the, it could be another world war, you know, this is 1939. They're going to whip that out and use that. If that works on this, they're going to whip that out and use that on you every time. Don't fall for it. 210-599-5555. Tell me what you think. It's, um... It's exhausting to be right so much, but uh, like I told you, the Houston church shooter disappearing before our eyes in the news cycle. So the biological female who was using multiple male names who went into the Lakewood church Sunday afternoon already disappearing from the headlines, from coverage, not because there isn't anything new. Actually, there's all kinds of new things coming out, it seems like, just about every hour. And it's still an active investigation in Houston. It's not over if you're law enforcement. But, you know, you've got a trans shooter. You've got the Palestine sticker they said at first free palestine then it was just oh it was a sticker that just said palestine on the stock of it um you've got a a lefty that supports bernie sanders it's just not a good story we just there's nothing we can do with this there's nothing we can this this doesn't afford us the opportunity to blame the right people or beat the right people or cow the right people. It's not a stick we can use on our opponents. And I think maybe the other really inconvenient fact is that the off-duty officers, one TABC, the other one HPD, uh, killed a shooter while working the security gig at the church. We are told all the time, good guy with a gun is a is a talk radio myth and it's uh it's just some crazy you know urban legend uh it's just not true good guys with guns don't exist people with guns make they make a situation more complicated and it's more dangerous and um the other thing that's kind of coming out as they learn about this this person is the history there were numerous, I have, a, I have a whole list here, I won't bore you with it, but there's like a whole list of encounters with law enforcement going back over 20 years, numerous uh, charges, court appearances, 
including assault, forgery, theft, drugs. I'm looking at this, and I'm not an expert, and I'm not a medical expert, and I'm not a, a, mental, a mental health expert, but um, I, I probably need one. <laughs> Certainly I'm not one. But, but I'm looking at this, and I'm wondering, is it possible, hear me out, and then you can yell at me, is it possible that it's not a really good idea to keep propagating the idea or the mythology that you can just declare your gender, that you can just declare your pronouns, that you can just... In other words, is there something dangerous when, when you have somebody who may already be a little off the beam? Is it dangerous to build up in um you know in her mind this sort of you're fine you're good because it's a real weird thing to me that we have all these public service announcements and we have this mentality in our society now that says hey if you need help get help which i agree with but then we also tell people who need help you're great you're normal you're fine don't change that's stupid that's not smart that's going to lead to Bad outcomes. Maybe this outcome. You can't simultaneously tell people if if you don't feel right or if you're having thoughts, talk to someone, get some help, reach out. Here's call eight 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 or what whatever I forget now. What I think it's nine eight eight. But then at the same time, we're telling people in a variety of ways. Don't let anyone make you feel bad. No shame. I just wonder if, and again, I don't know what the input was. I don't know what, what this what this person heard, what they consumed, what they read, what was said to them. But I, I wonder about a society where we are giving that kind of mixed messaging. How many other people out there are walking around like ticking time bombs because they really need... They, they need to be helped. They need to get help. They need to know they need help. And instead we're telling them be proud and we're affirming changing your gender like you're changing your socks. And then there was a story, and this was inevitable, I think. They started talking, the local Houston media have started talking to people that lived around the shooter. I'm not using the name because we don't do that. And the people that lived around this person, I guess it was around Conroe, had a very familiar and consistent story. They were terrified. Um, they were the victims of false police reports from this person. And when this person wasn't sicking the police on them for false, completely falsified accusations, stalking and whatnot, then this person was terrorizing their families, uh, you know, menacing them with, you know, her behavior. Very weird. Everyone said the same thing. It went on for years. We tried to stop this, said one woman. We tried to get help for her. We tried to help her. We tried to help ourselves. I don't know what needs to get done, but it needs to get done. 
Some of the neighbors were even angry. They were like, we can't believe it came to this. There were years of warning. It shouldn't have come to this. See what I mean, though, about we're doing the right thing by propagating the resources for mental health, and it's a good thing. It's a, it's a Christian good impulse to say to people, if you need help, there, there's help, get help, it's available, we're here. But then when you tell people like this, you're great, go for it. Be proud of who you're making yourself into. That's, that's actually dangerous. I wonder if that's yet another example of people saying things to make themselves feel better rather than to make the other person feel better. Patterns, right? I actually think I might be even more impressed by Patrick Mahomes since the Super Bowl than I was in the Super Bowl. I mean, that was that was a performance for the ages, but he was on um, CNN. I, I forget which show. It might have been Abby Phillips. And whoever the interviewer was asked Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback for the Super Bowl-winning Kansas City Chiefs, about the the rumor that the um, Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey romance is a Democratic Party conspiracy to um, coordinate, concentrate, uh, and ramp up hype that would then culminate in, at some dramatic moment later in the year, a Taylor Swift endorsement of Joe Biden, which would vault him to come from behind victory in the presidential election. So they put this question in front of Patrick Mahomes, who's, what, 25, 26 years old? And, I mean, I'm sure he has thoughts, but he did not take the bait, saying, quote, yeah, it's been wild to see. I try to focus in on football as much as possible, but there's always some conspiracy theories out there. I just try to enjoy football, my family, and I kind of stay off social media as much as possible. That's a great answer. That's all you need to say. Don't take the bait. Don't go. Um, guy's good at what he does. I mean, there's so many things you could ask him. Figures they would ask that. What do you make of the fact that, according to the ratings numbers, and I'm going to tell you in a minute why I, I would tend to believe these numbers. I know we're all skeptical of statistics in general, and especially nowadays, but I'll tell you why I think I do believe this. According to the numbers, the Super Bowl was the most watched television event in the history of television. All right, we have more people than we've ever had. There's more TVs than we've ever had. There's streaming. The Super Bowl is usually the number one event of the year for ratings, and the record holder before Sunday was the previous year's Super Bowl. But what does that say to you about what we had seen for a few years with people getting very turned off by the politics and the wokeness of the NFL and its players? What does it mean that it's the record highest rated uh, broadcast? 
210-599-5555. Larry, by the way, says, is it possible that they've got a lot of new woke viewers who've replaced the people that were boycotting and are boycotting? Uh, got, that's a theory. By the way, the email is jack at ktsa.com. Yeah, that could be. That's a That's a very big ask, but it could be. I think it might be something a little more simple. I think it might be that, with a few exceptions, and Bud Light was one of those, people like you and me take our politics seriously and we take our fun seriously. And we don't let anybody tell us how to enjoy ourselves. And we don't care what anybody thinks about how we enjoy ourselves. And I don't mean you're streaking. I just mean you can believe what you believe and vote the way you vote with fervor, with passion. You can care about issues and elections. But you can also love yourself some football on a Sunday. You can say, I deserve this. I have waited all week. I want to see this. I enjoy this. I grew up watching it with my dad, and now I watch it with my kids, or whatever the, or, or I like having my friends over, or whatever it is. We are not people who virtue signal. We are not people who do things strictly for other people to notice. That's the left. Everything they do is driven by the need to pose and signal to their own flock. they got to have the right sticker on the car, the right sign in the yard, the right brand of bottled water. I mean, everything's got to be. And, 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 I mean, with precision, right? But we don't. We kind of let it fly. We know what they're doing. We know, we, we get the, the propagandizing of professional sports. And, and it is a turnoff and it probably has reduced people's enthusiasm and regularity for watching. But the Super Bowl is the Super Bowl, a great matchup between two really great, worthy teams. You're, if you're a football fan, you, you just want to see that. And that's it. Now about these ratings numbers, I would tend to believe them. A, because just sort of what I guess you would call my gut is, yeah, I mean, if you were out and about during a Super Bowl, there's nobody anywhere. <laughs> Everybody's watching it. But the other reason I would tend to believe them is these numbers are are used um, in a very nuts and bolts, dollars and cents way to set advertising rates and to determine what people will pay uh, for sponsorships and exposure and so forth. If you were to start lying about these numbers, if these numbers became, you know, mythology, our business, the broadcast business, would lose its ability to monetize the events that we broadcast. So the numbers have to be, and they're, and they come from an independent third party, uh, company. They don't come from, it isn't CBS claiming the number. CBS is quoting the number, but they don't measure the audience. That number has to have some reliability. It has to have some credibility, or 
it would be impossible to make a profit doing what we do. So I tend to believe the numbers are, are accurate. And just anecdotally or instinctively, it sounds right. What do you think? 210-599-5555. I, I will say this. I, I don't think they should get cocky about it. <laughs> they being either the, the NFL or the networks. I don't think people are cool with putting it behind a paywall like they did with that playoff game. I don't think people uh, are over or totally fine with kneeling for the anthem. I, I do know people who have never come back from that, and I, I respect that. So they pushed their luck, and they are pushing their luck. But at the same time, this is one of the last few things, the the second Sunday of February, that this country kind of does together. There's not much left. We have been splintered and polarized and divided by would-be leaders to the point where there, there, there isn't much that is recognized as having in common. And this is one of those things. Uh, 210-599-5555. Daniel is on the Jack Riccardi Show. Hi, Daniel. Hey, how's it going? It's, I'm, I'm, it's going good. How are you? <laughs> doing well, doing well. Yeah, I just, I just had a comment, you know, a quick comment that, uh, regarding this subject of viewership of the, the mm-hmm. Super Bowl. You know, I'm one of those longtime NFL fans who's, who's been pretty disillusioned and disheartened with what I've seen in the NFL in the last couple of years. But the main reason that I tuned in this year was because Brock Purdy and Christian McCaffrey are conservative Christians who openly profess mm-hmm. their faith, and I wanted to see them do good and win. So that's mm-hmm. I tuned in for for that reason alone. <laughs> I think that's you know I think you make a really good point. We've we've heard it seems like we're starting to see, uh, you know, you look at C.J. Stroud and and the way he's been very outspoken. We're finally hearing the other side, right? And and we always knew it was out there, but I think for a long time maybe there were people telling these athletes to, you know, keep it on the down low or play it down. I'm glad they're saying right. what they're saying and I'm with you. I I I I sort of find myself even if I'm not rooting for a team, I'm rooting for the guy who has taken that stand. Right. And I'll just throw this in there real quick. Tua Tag Tagovailoa is also Another one of those who, you know, again, Christ is number one to them, and mm-hmm. they're not ashamed mm-hmm. to admit it, man. And I, I love seeing mm-hmm. that. So that, that's yeah. that's why I watched that particular game. <laughs> so. Great point. No, I think I think that's a very good point and a very good factor in, in maybe some people sticking around through all the other baloney that goes on. Thank you, Daniel. Appreciate you. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. The other thing I think um, I started to realize a little bit. Um, and and again, I I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not endorsing a a, a way of living your life. But uh, I I got very I got very around 2020 and 2021. I got nauseated by the constant propagandizing of football games and basketball games and what have you. And I mean, it, it was almost unwatchable at times. You know, it it was the kneeling before the game. It was the, the slogans on the on the court, on the field, on the helmets, on the uniforms, on the shoes, and and then the the constant you know um, 
political invasion, like the invasive species of politics, into what was supposed to be escapism. But what I don't want to be, what I don't want to be, is one of those people who has no interior life, like no ability to be more than just his politics. I find there are people, some on the left, some on the right, but there are people that have, they don't have a political point of view. They are a political point of view. It's taken them over. And it's sort of almost, even when you agree with them, they're kind of annoying to be around, right? Like they're, they're like those people that can't stop talking about being vegan or they're trying to sell you some vitamin they, that, that they're affiliated with or something. It's too much. It's all they are. And I don't want to be that person. Yes, I know what I believe. And no football team or professional sports league is going to shake that. And I recognize the the effect they're having and the messaging they're doing. But I'm also going to be a real person who has interests and hobbies and enjoyment and what you know, what I would call like an interior life, you know? And if 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 watching a game gives you joy or playing a game gives you joy or watching movies gives you joy, you don't have to be so orthodox and rigid that you say, well, I just will not patronize this. You, you can. You have the freedom to do that. But you can also have fun and still be you. So that's my, that's my sermon. That's my sermonette for today. We got stacks and stacks of wax and wax. We got the pick to click the ones to watch the oldies but goodies and oldies but gooies. We got the top 700 records. Next week it'll be a golden oldie. Let's hear it. For whatever kind of love you've got uh, planned for tomorrow. On this Valentine's Day Eve, we welcome back to the show Mighty John Marshall. The website is moneymusic.com. We call him on our show The Records Guy. Mighty John, good evening to you. Happy Valentine's Eve to you. You too, Jack. Great to be with you. We are going to talk about uh, and take calls about vinyl records you may have kicking around the closet or the house that are potentially worth something to a collector, and how would you know, and what are they worth? And you can talk to this man and literally find out uh, right now at 210-599-5555. I, I don't think there's anything else like it where people call in, and all of a sudden in, in the span of a few seconds they discover that they're sitting on tens or hundreds or even thousands of dollars but it can happen so if you've got a question about a vinyl record call right now we always wind up as you know john we always wind up at the end of the segment with people waiting on hold and not being able to get to them so grab a line 210-599-5555 we're also going to count down the top 10 records with love in the title that are worth a hundred dollars or more right absolutely Actually, $125 or more. 
A hundred and twelve inflation. That's right. There you go. All right. So one twenty five is the new one hundred. Um first though, in case people are hearing you on our show for the first time, you've been with us for years, but if they've not heard you before, what's what's it all about, Alfie? I mean, what what makes a collectible vinyl record? They're not all collectible. Not all collectible. The three or four things you want to look for is the genre of music, rock and roll, soul, blues, jazz. I'd say those are the big four. How collectible is the recording artist and how rare is the record? Those three factors will add up to value. Yeah. And and the rarity is kind of the, the, the big one because just because somebody's popular doesn't mean that album or that 45 that you have will be valuable. Um, and, and sometimes even as, as you always explain to us, sometimes even with a given song by a given artist, there's more than one version of it. And the rarer the version, the more valuable and collectible it is. Exactly. You got it right. All right. So we're going to do this with your calls and our countdown starts at number 10 songs with love in the title that you would love to have in your collection at number 10 is You Can't Hurry Love by the Supremes, the 45. The 45 with the picture sleeve. Those picture sleeves that came with those 45s mm. really add to the value up to $125. Now, what would the value be if you only had the record like in a plain sleeve or no sleeve? About $25. Wow, okay. $100 for that picture sleeve. We could go back in time. We'd be so much more careful with those flimsy <laughs> picture sleeves. The Beatles are at number nine with All You Need Is Love. All You Need Is Love. That 45 with its picture sleeve up to $150. Again, 100 of that. Hmm. Just that picture sleeve. Um, pr- people probably presume that everything with the Beatles is collectible, but that's not true, right? Well, I would say that's true. Everything by the Beatles is collectible and worth money. Some a lot more than others, but everything by the Beatles, everything by Elvis is worth okay. money. Yeah. Uh, number eight, and we're going to get to Elvis. He's coming up. Number eight is the Yardbirds, For Your Love. For Your Love. Big hit for Eric Clapton and the Yardbirds. Now, the value here is for the album, For Your Love. Okay. The 45 would be worth up to about $25. The album, currently up to $200. And what makes that particular one so valuable? Well, Clapton is getting to be collectible. The Yardbirds, most people at the time when that came out, uh, that was the only 45 for your love that they had had. They weren't that popular at the time. Mm. Most people are going to buy just the 45. Why waste money on the album? You should. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It's up to 200 bucks. All right, we got the Beatles again at number seven. This looks like a particular case, though. What's the deal with the this version of Love Me Do? Love Me Do. Well, this is on Tolly Records, which is the original label. Collectors always want these things on the original record label, Tolly, T-O-L-L-I-E. Love Me Do with its picture sleeve, up to $500, 450 of that for that picture sleeve. <sighs> wow. So, in other words, um, this is before they get their big corporate record deals and then Apple Records, which was their own label, right? At the time, when they first came out, they were on several labels. They were on Tolly, they were on Swan, they were on MGM, on Decca, Capital, VJ. And then finally, Capital got the rights to them, mm. and then they started their own label with Apple. Must have been a lot of busy lawyers, right? A lot of busy lawyers. <laughs> 
It was a different. And there's time, a backstory. You were saying there's an interesting backstory to Love Me Do. Well, Love Me Do actually, Paul McCartney wrote that when he was 16 years old, or his girlfriend at the time, Iris Caldwell. So wow. At 16, he wrote Love Me Do, Iris. <laughs> yeah. What were you writing when you were 16? Man, I can't remember. <laughs> I don't think I saved any of it, and I think we're all glad. I think that's a blessing for all of us. All right, we just heard it. Um, Elvis is burning love. Uh, his big, yeah. big hit. Really, really, if not his last, one of his last big hits, right, from 72. Last top ten hit. It went all the way to number two. Last number one was Suspicious Minds. But uh, Burning Love was his last hit. And. Big difference in the color of the record label makes all okay. the difference. This is on RCA. If mm. you have Burning Love on an orange RCA label, $15. But mm. if you had it on a gray RCA label, up to $750. And what is the significance of the gray label? Well, obviously far fewer of them released in gray. Why? Well, it might have been at a different uh, record pressing plant. It might have oh. been a, a, a a second issue. Most of them had been sold by the time the gray labels came out. So hmm. all kinds of various factors, but the fact that it's rare, hard to find, makes it worth a lot more money. This feels like a good time to ask you, uh, also, we always get into this, sometimes if you're at a flea market or a garage sale, you'll see records that are marked not for sale or uh, you know, radio promotional copy. What does that do to the yeah. collectability and value of a record? Well, if the artist is collectible, such as Elvis of the Beatles, it can really drive the value way up high. So there uh, can be quite collectible, those promo records. But if the artist isn't that collectible, then it's going to be worth the same amount as the commercial version sold in the stores. Are there collectors that are particularly into promo copies? Yeah, a lot of collectors collect just picture sleeves. They don't care about the records. There are others yeah. that just collect promotional copies. Yeah. A lot of collectors will, uh, you know, work on a specific genre and a particular type of music rather than collect everything, which is almost impossible. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking back, when we, last time we talked about this, I was thinking back afterwards. Imagine this probably would have been like, what, the mid-'80s when a lot of radio stations were converting their libraries to CD. Yeah. Imagine the killing you could have made yeah. just taking their records off their hands. They, they, I, I, I witnessed this with my own eyes. They were just throwing them away. Right. And they ended up in yard sales and flea markets, and that's where we find them. You know, yeah. we're talking about the Beatles. Promo copy for A Hard Day's Night, the album, uh, will go up to about $10,000. Mm. Whereas the commercial copy is about $250. 210-599-5555. Question from Mighty John. Tim is on the radio. Hi, Tim. Hi, how are you this evening? Good, Tim. What's up? I have a uh, an old Jimi Hendrix album. It's, I believe it's Electric Ladyland, but it, it has on the cover several topless young ladies across the front of it. I thought that was pretty unusual when I found it. I didn't. I didn't know any history on it. Yes. Well, it's not among his most... He has some very, very collectible records. Electric Ladyland, not among the big ones, uh, but it can go up to about $50. Okay. And can I ask about yeah. one more? Sure. sure. Okay, I have a have an old Cream album from uh, okay. Eric Clapton, Ginger Baker. 
Well, uh, to have for cream, you're going to have to have it on ATCO records. A T C O. That should be the label. Uh, if it's on ATCO, uh, it'll go up to about fifty dollars as well. If it's on any other label, it's going to be a reissue. Okay. Well, thank you very much. You got it. You're very welcome. Thank you, Tim. Appreciate it. Yeah. So a lot of times we get questions, right, John, about like um, compilation albums and KTEL yep. and time, what time life. So those right. are not. Those are not the original issue. Collectors want right. the original record label issue, right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And what about um, if an artist has a greatest hits album? Uh, generally, the most greatest hits albums are not worth that much money. Again, it's, a not, it's an original uh, recording, but it's not an original issue. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, so they want that first issue uh, with that record. So greatest hits, not necessarily going to make it, recording, uh, make it valuable. Right. 210-599-5555. We had Elvis at number six. These are the top ten collectible records with love in the title. Number five is again the Beatles. Can't buy me love. Can't buy me love. Number one hit. If you have a copy, hope you have the picture sleeve with it. Current value up to $800. About 700 of that for that picture sleeve. I love how every once in a while I hear the old DJ and you come out. Have you noticed that? <laughs> You, do, you can't you can't take it out you can't take the you take the man out of the radio station but you can't take the radio station out of the man right exactly yes all right and that's how John got his start he was a he was on radio for a long time has he has a record collection and he is the premier authority on uh, collectible vinyl records and that's why we're talking to him and taking your calls All right, we're going to get some more record values from Mighty John Marshall and continue our countdown of the top ten records with love in the title that you would love to have in your collection or you would love to sell to a record collector so you could buy your love something for Valentine's Day. Uh, John Marshall's uh, website is moneymusic.com. It's where you can get his price guide for collectible records, and he does a record of the day, which is very cool and... um Got an email question from Eileen, John. Uh, she says she has the 45 of Billie Jean by Michael Jackson with the picture sleeve. What might that be worth? Well, he does have some very valuable records. Unfortunately, Billie Jean, not among them, with the picture sleeve, but 15 to $20. Mm, okay. Well, at least she kept the at least she. Dude, kept the picture she sleeve, it, which yeah. is more than, I mean, that's a that's a 40-plus-year-old picture sleeve, so she's done something right. Um, we should mention, by the way, that uh, Thursday we'll be counting down our top ten for the week will be from 1983, and who knows, Billie Jean might be on there, so just a little plug. Uh, let's get to um, Joan with a question from Mighty John on the Jack Riccardi Show. Hi, Joan. Hi. Um, yes, please. Um, I'm looking at an album. It's very old, from 1946, and it does say Bing Crosby and Orson Welles on the top, and it's The Happy Prince. There is music, I know that, but it's actually yep. an adaptation of an Oscar Wilde fairy tale uh, directed by Orson Welles, and Bing Crosby is, of course, the prince and he narrates it. You know, he talks it. It's a lovely story. Uh, and I was wondering if there's any value to that. It's from Decca. And yep. did I say the year 1946? Yeah. Hmm. yeah. What about it that, John? Well, well, first of all, I remember that 
just because a record is old doesn't mean it's worth money. Right. Bing Crosby, oh, yes. no, no, I understand. One of the most, one of the biggest selling recording artists of all time, one of the most popular recording artists of all time. Most of the money for Crosby is for the soundtracks from his movies like Holiday Inn and Showboat, and that sure. one that you have would be up to about seventy-five dollars. Oh, very good. Okay, yeah. thank you. Very nice. Thank You're you, Joan. Well. Appreciate that. That's a neat. That's a neat story. Um, I love that we went from Billy Jean to Bing Crosby too. I don't know any other show that can do that. I <laughs> proud of that. And now we're going to go to Motley Crue, number four on our uh, top ten countdown. Um, this is from an al- a Motley Crue album, right? Right. Nothing says love like a Motley Crue record. Yeah. No. Uh, the name of the album, Too Fast for Love. Okay. Now, the cover makes all the difference in the value. If the cover, Motley Crue is in red print on the cover. Up to $400, which isn't bad. No. But if on the cover, Motley is in black print and Crew is in white print on the album Too Fast for Love, up to $1,000. Huh. First so those are apparently for... rarer than the ones in red, huh? Yes. As far as I know, there's a 1,000 copies out there. Uh, it's the first printing where they did a uh, black print on the cover for Motley and Crew in wow. white print. Yeah. Definitely check that out. Uh, number yep. four, we just heard it, Jerry Butler, for your precious love. What makes this 45 so collectible? Well, this is a early, early record for Jerry Butler. Doo-wop records are very, very collectible. This was on other labels, but the original was VJ Records, and that's mm. what collectors want. They want it on the VJ record label, for your precious love, a precious $2,500. There's a lot of label hopping with those doo-wop acts, right? I mean, they were... Oftentimes, they were issued on more than one label. Yep, yep, they certainly were. And VJ, of course, was one of the early uh, labels for the Beatles. There you go, there you go. Uh, Number two, top ten records with love in the title is Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, we talked about Jimi Hendrix a little earlier. The album Axis, Bold as Love. Now, the original stereo version's up to $1,500. An original mono copy up to $2,500. Access bold as love. Mm. I know I asked you this once before, but when did the mono stereo split go away and everything was in stereo? Uh, by the end of the uh, 60s, mostly everything was in stereo. In the mid-60s, record companies didn't know which way to go, so mm. they would issue it in both mono and stereo. And depending on how many in a particular version, the less of the version, uh, the less copies is going to be worth more money. Oh, okay. So it's not a rule that mono is always more, or stereo is always more, just whichever one is right. rarer. Interesting. Right. By the oh, beginning right. of the 60s, you know, everything was in mono. So to find a copy in the beginning of the 60s in stereo, that would be rare. Now, we've been talking some big money here. We've, we've, we've gotten into four figures on Jimi Hendrix and Jerry Butler and what have you. But, but now we're going to get serious. Now we're going to talk about... You know, life-changing, uh, you know, you can finally get that uh, operation kind of money. Number one on the top ten records with love in the title, again, Elvis, take it away, John Marshall. And it is a great love song. Not only does it have love in the title, but it's a great love song. Elvis can't help falling in love with you. The regular 45 with picture sleeve worth up to about $40. But find it on a 7-inch 33 with picture sleeve, up to $16,000. 
a seven inch thirty three. They that was a very rare thing in itself, right? At the time, yes. Now this is not an EP like a seven inch album. This is an actual single with uh, "Can't Help Falling in Love" on one side and yeah. "Rockahula Baby" on the flip side. Uh, very few of them were put out. Somebody had the idea of changing the speeds on a turntable, eliminating the 45 and just making them oh. at 33s. But by that time, so many people had 45s, they wouldn't be able to play. But that that idea died real quick. And so, uh, yeah, that was, I was going to ask you why they would even do that, but they, they thought there yeah. might only be a, a, a the stand, industry standard might be one speed and it was going to be 33. Yeah. So now, yep. um, do we know how many of these are in existence or are still out there? I, I do not know, but obviously at $16,000, there aren't too many out there. I was just thinking, selfishly, I would have hated this as a radio disc jockey when we were playing records, because how many times do you think this would get put on the turntable? It looks like a 45. You're going to set the speed for 45, <laughs> and Elvis is going to sound like a you know chipmunk, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, that's just very that confusing, way. right? <laughs> right, Absolutely. And it did have you remember? Small... You remember, like as a D, as a DJ, you 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 would cue up a record. I don't know if you did this. I did this. I would cue up a record, and you'd be like holding your breath. I mean, you don't want to move. You don't want to touch anything. You don't want to bump it with your elbow because a lot of those turntables, man. If you just bumped the counter or your chair, the arm of your chair hit the counter, you you nudged the needle. Right, and many times we put a quarter or a nickel on the turntable on the uh, tone arm just to mm -hmm. make sure it didn't fall off the record, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, those were uh, those were tricky to use. And then you throw a 33 7-inch at me. Come on. I'm only <laughs> one man. Uh, you and can find out more about uh, record values. Like, And I recommend this. If you have a lot of vinyl, you should just get John's uh, price guide. How can people do that? Well, go to moneymusic.com. And right now, we got our brand-new YouTube video up. If you view the video, let us know that you did and we will email you absolutely free the value for every Elvis and every Beatles record oh, wow. over 2,000 listings. Just view the video, let us know, and uh, we'll send you those Elvis and Beatle values. All right. So for that, or if you want to buy the entire record guide, moneymusic.com, moneymusic.com for Mighty John. And uh, hopefully you'll come back again real soon. We've enjoyed this uh, as we always do, John. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jack. Uh, as I just mentioned, uh, and it's just concluding now, the U.S. House of Representatives had another vote. Uh, there was, I think, one Republican member, I think it might have been Steve Scalise, who was not available last week when they had this vote. Um, the Republican uh, majority, as you know, is, is very slender. It was very slender after the 2022 midterms, and then George Santos was... Uh, booted out, and to, in fact, today is the special election uh, in his New York uh, state uh, district, uh, which I think is going to be won by the Democrats. So the the Republican margin was thin and thinning, and it's it's almost impossible on anything to see the Republicans vote together, but they appear to have done that with uh, impeaching Mayorkas. And look, I I've said this before. Mayorkas is is um, 
definitely part of the problem. Uh, he is a willing co-conspirator. He is an enabler uh, of a disastrous, dangerous, intentional uh, opening of our southern border. Having said that, the Republicans have just done the easiest thing there is to do. You talk about low-hanging fruit, they just picked an apple up off the ground. I mean, Mayorkas is dead man walking. And, and, and I don't mean, by the way, that he'll be removed, because, as you know, impeachment's a two-step process. Um, he, he's not going to be tried and convicted of anything in the U.S. Senate, so this is, is where it ends. But I, I, I can understand the satisfaction or the cheering for his impeachment, but now do the stuff that's harder to do. S- somehow, Republicans have to, in my opinion, they don't have to do anything I say, but I would like them to wean themselves off the, uh, the teat of easy money, easy campaign funding, fundraising, I should say, um, vote, get out the vote stimulus of we have a border crisis, we have a border crisis, the system's broken, the border is open. It's just been too easy for them for too long to frame the problem, but also maintain it. And, you know, Trump comes along and says, let's actually do something about it, and they scattered, they ran for the hills, these establishment Republicans. So they showed their true colors in that moment. And he may be coming back. We don't know. But if he does, he's again going to say, I don't want you to talk about it. I don't want you to raise money off of it. I want you to do it. And I just, I find that both political parties, and I know, I know you don't want to hear this, but both political parties seem to have a vested interest in a permanently open, permanently broken, permanently dangerous southern border. I mean, kind of follow the money, right? Like, why would you want to cure a disease you're making so much money off of and getting so many votes for? And, you know, for for obvious reasons, immigration's kind of a a favorable issue for Republicans. I mean, most voters think they're tougher on it. They are. Most voters think they have a better policy on it. Okay, they do. Um, But they also have had numerous occasions to really do something. And if it wasn't for Trump putting a gun to their head, they wouldn't have done it. And, uh, you know, whatever you think of him, he's not always going to be there. In fact, the minute he wins the election, if he wins it, He's instantly a lame duck. Republicans will not feel like they have to listen to him. They will not be afraid of him. This is something nobody talks about. The the media like to point out that rank and file Republicans are afraid of Trump and they only they they toady to him and they only say they like him because they're afraid he'll give him a nickname or primary him. All, that may all be true. That all ends with this fall's election. Because he can't run again. Uh they will never have to worry about him giving them a nickname or calling them out or whatever, even if he's the president of the United States again. This is it. 
whatever effect he has, and I think he has quite a um, spine-stiffening effect on a lot of these rhinos, that ends with the election. And so we have to make it clear to them, look, you guys are worthless to us if you don't get this right. And impeaching Mayorkas is more symbolic than real. Tonight it will not make any difference on the border. Tonight it will not make any difference to our security. Tonight it will not do anything about the people that are already here. And, you know, okay, you've checked something off your list. It's good to start somewhere. But this will be the easiest thing you do, I think. What do you think? 210-599-5555, jack at ktsa.com. Speaking of presidential elections, for what it's worth, there's a historian uh, named Alan Lickman who, uh, I forget where he's out of, um, but he, he kind of made a name for himself some years ago by saying that... Um, there are measurable keys, I think there's 13 of them by his count, that allow you to predict who will win an election, a presidential election. So there's like 13 questions you ask, and based on who holds the key, the most keys, he can predict who will win the election. He has correctly predicted most of the winners of most of the elections since 1984. Uh, Alan Lickman has. He um, correctly predicted Biden in 20, correctly predicted uh, Trump in 2016. He says, as of now, and it, it, it is subject to change, he says, as of now, Biden holds five of his keys and Trump holds three of his keys. And that leaves the rest of them up for grabs. I guess that would leave five, right? Uh, Come November. The keys are party mandate, contest, incumbency, third party, short-term economy, long-term economy, policy change, social unrest, scandal, foreign or military failure, foreign or military success, incumbent charisma, and challenger charisma. And Biden has one key automatically, which is incumbency. Okay. Um, but he gives Biden overall five and Trump three. So he doesn't think right now you can predict who will win, but he says if his keys are right, he'll know later in the year. Stuff like that kind of interesting to me. I'm kind of a geek about stuff like that. But I'm also one of those people who believes that... Um, Almost all the, like, pattern stuff, like if you win Ohio, you win the presidency, or no one's won since such and such a year without winning Maine, or all that stuff to me is out the window. All that stuff to me is out the window. That's broken. Uh, Trump broke it, and then the way we conducted the 2020 election broke it. I don't know that there's a single state, bellwether, trend, whatever, key, I don't think there's anything like that anymore that you can say, if we know this, we know everything. I don't know if we know anything (laughs) at this point, right? Um, We asked you on the JR poll, powered by River City Oral Surgery, should President Biden's White House physical 
include a cognitive test? That was a question put to Corinne Jean-Pierre, who said no. Uh, every day is a cognitive test. All day he's cognitiving all over the place. So do you think, would there be value to you in a cognitive test result being announced by the White House? 79% said yes. 21% said no. All I'm going to say about that is I already know what the results of the test will be, and so do you. He's fine. It was fine. The test was fine. He's fine. Why do I want that? Finally tonight, I love this story. I don't know if you will, but I love this. This is a grocery store chain in um, in the Netherlands called Jumbo. And they have, you know, the big thing now with all the grocery stores, right? You got like express checkout and 10 items or less and self-checkout. They've got a new kind of checkout aisle at Jumbo called slow checkout. And you're thinking to yourself, hell, I don't want that. Who'd want that? Well, just hear me out. These are for customers who would like a leisurely chat with their cashier. Have you ever been behind someone, and I don't want to stereotype, but you know, who uh, wants to have a whole conversation with the, the checker, and you're like in a hurry, and you're tapping your foot, and you're, well, what they've done is they've set up checkout lines for people that are chatty and not in a hurry, And in announcing it, they said this will help older people connect and have a conversation and have a little human contact. If you think about it, there's probably people out there who maybe talking to the checkout clerk is the only real human conversation they might have all that day. So in this sense, I think slower is better. I think this is a heartwarming and perfect idea. I also don't think you can pay those cashiers enough, whoever they are. So good on Jumbo for that. Our show's available as a podcast. Go to KTSA.com, pull down the on-demand menu, or look for the Jack Riccardi Show wherever you like to get your other podcasts. We're back here live at 4 tomorrow.